Today's episode of The Goldcast, the MMA edition, is sponsored by Stainless Steel Scissors. If you have something that needs to be cut, don't use those plastic scissors. Don't use those rubber scissors. Don't use those wooden scissors. Use stainless steel metal scissors. You're available at any store near you. And here we go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. Boom! Boom. Boom, baby. Welcome to another edition of the Gold Cast. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my MMA co-host, Dan the Man. Happy 2017, buddy. Thanks, my friend. Happy 2017 to you. Thank you. Uh, appreciate it. Here we go. UFC 207. We had a really nice preview. You made some strong predictions. We had two of the three. And then, of course, I mean, who doesn't love an upset, though? We had a nice upset. And then we had, let's start with the big one. Let's start with Nunez versus Rousey. What were your thoughts? What are your takeaways? I mean, if you, if like, you know, we, we, we actually, we attempted to record this episode yesterday and we had some technical difficulties and yesterday we'd said, if you blinked your eyes, you might've missed this match. So break it down for us. Yeah, it's funny. So yesterday going in, uh, going into recording the pod, I was like, I'm not even going to watch this fight again because I don't need to. Uh, I watched it once and that was, that was all I needed to do, but I changed my mind today because I had a little bit of hindsight and I, and I decided to watch it like on some bootleg YouTube where the heads were cut off version. <laughs> uh, but it was actually, it was actually insightful because with the heads cut off, I got to see uh, the lack of, of movement on uh, Rousey's part and how her feet got square when she started getting hit. I mean, the issue with Rousey coming out of the home fight was that, she had issues with dominant strikers mm-hmm. and elite elite level strikers, and um, not that uh, not not the obvious issue that she was a judo person and and she was not a striker by trade, but that she somehow has this idea that she can trade with elite level strikers. I don't know if it's her coaching um, or just kind of her ego, but she. She has it in her brain that she can box, and it is very apparent that she cannot. And so when I was watching it today, I noticed that as she gets hit, um, in the beginning, uh, the smart thing to do, they always say in boxing, defense starts with the feet, and she started to fade back and, and create a little distance because she was getting beat up in the pocket, which was smart. And then something clicks in her, and she, and she starts to go forward, and she gets real flat-footed, and her feet start to get closer and closer together. The more she gets hit, she tries a couple ineffective clinches, and then Nunez just really starts to create space and find a rhythm and just hit hit the mark, and it was pretty pretty much over after that. Oh yeah, it was basically over right right after that. And yeah, she did not. You know, she used you said this you said this last week, and you said the key the key to Rousey's game, what she needs to do to win is she needs to. She needs to get in close. She needs to clinch, take down, and submit. And then you said that for Nunez to win, what she needs to do is create space for her punches to land. 
And Nunes definitely won that battle. No question. Now, when you say, now you said that her feet squared up. What exactly happens to a fighter when their feet square up? Why is that bad? Um, when your feet square up, so imagine you're standing with one foot in front of the other, like in a boxing stance. Uh-huh. If you take your rear foot and you stand horizontally, so you bring that rear foot up to your front foot, you're standing square. So you've got like a 50-50 weight distribution. Yep. Um, which from a striking perspective, what that does is it turns your whole body into a target rather than just um, one side of your body when you're standing either in a left side stance, it would be your left side, or when you're standing in a right side stance, it would be your right side. So you square your feet up, and now your whole body is vulnerable to strikes. Um, not to mention you're immobile because you, you are standing uh, essentially with a 50-50 weight distribution, so you can't, you can't really move your feet or your head. Um, which was the problem for Rousey. Now, the reason that she does that is because she's a judo player, and judo players stand with an, a more narrow base because they throw from that narrow base. A clinch base is nearly 50-50. Muay Thai, um, judo, uh, any, any type of wrestling with throws, you'll see them kind of narrow their feet and get into a, into a, a more square base, so closer to a 50-50 distribution. And that's exactly what happened. I don't know. It's funny because she wasn't in a in range for a clinch. It's almost like she went into autopilot and she just she just kind of started going back to you know what she's trained forever, which makes sense, I guess. But um, real bad choice. Yeah, really bad choice. Now that uh, you know, you mentioned this a little bit, so I want to ask you about this now. You know, there's been a lot of criticism lobbied at her camp in particular from directly from the champ and you know holly holmes obviously the holly holmes fight exposed some some big holes in ronda rousey's stand-up game that nunez just went full in on what do you think what do you think about what nunez said about about her her coach and about their approach to this fight and do you think there's any yeah give us a little bit of background on these uh, for instance the two different camps between nunez and rousey uh, yeah, exactly. A um, lot of criticism for Rousey and her camp and her choice to stay with her camp after the home fight. Um, she fights out of Glendale Fighting Club out of um, Glendale, California. Not an elite-level gym, uh, not, not known as an elite-level gym. Uh, in the MMA world, you have, you have like five top-tier gyms in the country or um, even outside of the country. You have uh, TriStar up in Canada which is where GSP fight at, uh, fights out of. And um, you have other, other camps in the States like American Top Team, which is where Nunes trains out of, and Jackson Wink uh, in uh, Albuquerque, where John Jones fights out of. So you have these kind of top-level camps, and then you have like these kind of lesser-tier camps. Um, and then you have camps that nobody really has heard of, which is where, where Rousey comes from. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the issue, of course, out of the um, after that home fight was home fights out of out of Jackson MMA, where John Jones fights out of, if not the best camp in the world, um, definitely you know two top top one or two, and uh, and then you have Nunes now fighting out of American Top Team, and she's fought out of you know who she's been with for a very long time. Also, 
you know, top three camp in the world. So you're starting to see, I mean, the writing was on the wall. Definitely after the home fight, people were like, oh, I hope she changes up her camp. I hope she does something different, you know, maybe goes somewhere to get some, some better insight into how to deal with these holes in her game especially if she's going to fight at this elite level. And then she gets, she draws another elite fighter out of American top team, which is Nunes. And she doesn't change anything up. I mean, the only thing noticeably different about Rousey, and this is, this is a good thing. It's not a bad thing was that she came, she came into the fight in incredible shape. And that was most likely because there is this feeling that Nunez fades after round one. She's a really quick starter, super strong, super explosive, but that she's muscle heavy and um, she probably has not a terrible cut to 135, which is what they fight at, but a pretty serious one. So that drains that drains the fighter in the later rounds. And so you saw a really fit Rousey, a Rousey that was ready to go five rounds. But other than that, uh, strategy-wise, nothing had changed. Now, let me ask you a question about the post-fight antics. There's, you know, again, kind of a lot of... I mean, I think uh, coming out of this, Nunes, for sure, the winner, not just on paper, but in the in the energy of the fans and the emotions of UFC and Rousey. I mean, Rousey just couldn't... She has just been lobbied criticism after criticism for her, uh, you know, the way she handled the loss. She didn't want to talk to the press afterwards. And, and she, you know, she literally just, you know, basically stormed off without saying a word to anybody. And a lot of criticism has been rallied, rallied towards Rousey. How, where do you stand on all that? Do you think that that's, do you think it's fair? Do you think that it's, it is, uh, it's earned? Do you think that given everything she went through, that maybe she doesn't have to talk about anything? I mean, where do you, where do you stand on all that? Um, I think that it's understandable. Her position after the home fight, uh, was a little, was understand it was confusing, but it was understandable. Look, she had been on multiple world tours tours for promotion. She single handedly brought women's MMA into reality in a at the elite level with the UFC. It was all built built on her shoulders and on her back. She spent a lot of time spinning her wheels, and she was burnt out. Um, and I get, I get that, and I understand that to a point. But here's the thing. You don't want a loss to define you. And what happens when you run away uh, from a loss is that it starts to define you because you don't speak to it. All we have is the loss. We don't have you saying, okay, I lost, but I'm going to move on, right? Mm -hmm. You just have radio silence. And so what do we have? If we don't have, if we don't have you giving us media and press and a perspective, we're going to build our own. And what does it look like when somebody doesn't speak to a loss? It looks like, you are that loss. That's what you are. That loss, it, it defines you uh, because you're silent. You have nothing to say about it, you know? Um, and so I think that's number one. Number two, I think that this is the fight game. And it's not recreational. So in the sense that fighters are responsible for media. Professional fighters, just like professional football players, professional basketball players... All professional sports athletes 
are responsible for doing press. That's true. That is part of that is part of the sport. It's not just a game that you go out and you play. It's not just a competition that you go out and you compete and then you get to go home. No, it's your whole life. That's your whole life. That's 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 the big idea, right? So it's part of the job. If you don't like the job, don't do the fucking job. It's true. I mean, and promote and promotional promoting your fight or promoting whatever sporting event that you are participating in is part of your job. And also sitting up there and answering reasons why you weren't live you did not live up to uh, expectations when you uh, fail at, a, at at winning your particular game or or match, and also when you win. Right, and it's it's interesting because you know it's like. If you were a computer programmer and you were performing inadequately and your employer called you up and was like, hey, let's talk about this, and you're like, no, I'm not going to talk about it, you'd be fired. Um, <laughs> and I know that that's not necessarily the case, but even even better is, is, is like, here's a position where you can perform poorly at your job and people ask you questions about it and it doesn't really affect your employment, right? Like... You're still employed, regardless of whether or not you do shitty. Yeah. So I think it's kind of like a an interesting. We get into an interesting position with Rousey, and I feel like up until the build up in the fight, there was a lot of excuses made for her. Um, a lot of which I just kind of commented on, and that only got more aggravated after the loss to Nunez. You saw her storm out. She had nothing to say. Um, she released a really kind of like half-hearted statement um, a couple days after the fact that was pretty ambiguous. Um, and it just seems like a letdown in a lot of ways because of everything that she's done in the sport. You just want a champion to lose gracefully. I heard a really great, I read a great article by Chuck Minnenhall um, from MMA Fighting, and uh, he he was on uh, the MMA Hour the other day, Ariel Hawani, and he was like, said a really great and poignant thing about this loss. He said, you know, for champions, fans just want to die with you. So if you're going to lose, lose with them. Come out and say, you know what, I did the best I could, and I lost. And I, I'm sorry, and I'll, you know, I'll do better next time, or I just don't have it in me anymore. And fans will die with you. And I think that's a really poignant, that's a really poignant thing we saw it happen with Dominic Cruz. That's, you know, that's a really interesting perspective and, and I really agree with that. I've never really, I've never heard it worded that way. And I really agree with that, that it is, it's true. Fans will die with you and, and, uh, the ones that stand by you, there's a, there's even the ones that maybe necessarily don't support you, but you know, are fans of the sport, they will die with you and they will allow you to bow out grace gracefully it's when you don't that you create that animosity uh i am reminded of uh i mentioned this to you before uh cam newton who was really showboaty last year when his team went 15 to 1 like the only like really really good season that the panthers have ever had and he was even you know criticized a little bit he he acted like he was more criticized than he really was people seem to really enjoy his like his very elaborate like touchdown uh um, celebrations and all their dancing and all the you know taking all these pictures on the sidelines during during while the other team is still playing and you know they just had these like over the top uh, over the top celebrations and then when they lost the Super Bowl you know which a lot of people had slated them to win when they lost the Super Bowl 
it was uh, he was not gracious in his exit, and he came off of, in fact, the exact opposite of how he had in in, in with all of his kind of uh, kind of cocky, over the top celebration. There was absolutely no humility in his loss, and kind of came off like a really a poor sport, you know, for lack of a better term, and uh, and people didn't like it. And then this year. A lot of that, a lot of the same kind of behavior through most of the year, and I think that he, you know, there was a lot of uh, a, a lot of fans turning on him for that, and I think that that's an interesting concept. I like that idea of, you know, fans will die with you, and that's 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 really true. Now, here's a let's let's move on. You just mentioned Cruz, and I think this is a good time to talk talk about the the Cruz Garbrandt fight. This was. I feel like this is the fight you were probably the most hyped for. Oh, yeah, man. I'm a huge Dominic Cruz fan. Um, and, you know, even in his loss uh, this last weekend, I think he really cemented his legacy even further by coming out and being such a class act and just owning up to it and and showing showing other fighters how to lose gracefully, you know. Um, and, you know, he suffered... He suffered some adversity in that fight. I don't think that that fight, I don't think, was as clear cut as a lot of analysts are making it out to be. A lot of people are kind of um, singing a tune of how Garbrandt dominated the Dominator. Dominic Cruz is known as his fight name is the Dominator. Um, and he out he outcruised Cruz and he just had uh, a really uh, exemplary performance, which I do think Garbrandt did. I was impressed with him. I thought that he showed. A lot of composure for such a young fighter. Um, his skill set is obviously elite um, on all on all aspects. He um, he was great in striking. He was great with his uh, footwork, and he was great with his wrestling and uh, takedown defense. And it was a fantastic fight. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think that fight was as clear cut as people think it it was. I went back and watched it a few times. Yeah, so let's talk about that because yeah, I mean even even from my perspective, and you know I'm not a fighter, I was just like, wow. Once once you got in that third round and Garvin laid down that first drop, and then you get into the fourth round and he starts really dropping him. I mean, it just it looked and he started toying with him, and he you know he was even he was even popping and locking in the middle of the fight and really kind of getting into under Cruz's skin a little bit with all of his uh, theatrics. It. It really did seem to me that Garbrandt just, yeah, I mean, just kind of made mince work of him. But you, you have an interesting perspective on this. So break down, break down round by round this fight and where where you think the uh, people are a little bit misled and how this how this fight went down. Yeah. Okay. So I think round one and round two, you had a real even matchup. I think round one was kind of a feeler round. We expected to see round one go. Um, the way it did, both fighters uh, scored. Um, you saw Garbrandt kind of trying to test Cruz's chin a little bit, and you saw Cruz trying to test his own chin, I think, a little bit. I think he was curious about Garbrandt's power um, and wanted to go out there and feel it. Cruz has this really great ability to roll punches off of him, so even things that look like they're connecting, um, they kind of he, he has such like a, a cool way of cutting angles and slipping um, even when he gets hit, um, he very rarely takes full full power shots. Um, and I thought it was a real even round, um, if not a draw. Um, but because because Cruz is 
Cruz is the champion and he's reigning champion. If that round uh, goes to anybody, it goes to Cruz um, because of how competitive it was. Uh, round two, uh, I give that round to Cruz. I think he rocked Garbrandt in that round. Um, he really started kind of started to find his rhythm a little bit. Garbrandt had a great round too. It was very competitive. It was very close, but um, I thought Cruz landed the more significant shots. And then round three happens, and round three is real interesting. So right in the beginning of the round, uh, early on, they uh, exchange, and there is a clash of heads, and Cruz gets a nasty cut over his left eye um, and starts bleeding pretty profusely. Um, and almost, you know, 20 seconds later, 25 seconds later, Garbrandt exposes uh, that left side with a crazy right hand, just a railroad that sends Cruz to the mat. Now, here is, this is, I think, the most pivotal uh, point of the fight. This is where the thing really starts to go in Garvin's direction and, and gets away from Cruz. Um, and I think it's, it's contingent on the fact that Cruz was essentially blind on that left side and open for Garbrandt's most dangerous, um, dangerous shot, which is his big right hand. Mm-hmm. And um, I mean, it's pretty textbook. What happens anytime a fighter gets cut, especially when they're both orthodox fighters, I mean, Cruz is kind of, he's not necessarily an orthodox fighter. He fights from, from both directions. Um, but, uh, but he was squared up with Garbrandt as an orthodox fighter, and uh, he's blind in that left side. It's essentially like having your eye closed, and if you close your left eye, you can't see that right hand coming. Yeah, so that's that's a really interesting point, Dan, is that, I mean, basically, and that's something that I haven't really heard anyone talk about, is the fact that all that blood going into that eye, and and then that's, that's when Garbrandt begins taking advantage, and that's when you see the punches starting to come in, and that's when you see Cruz's... Uh, ability to compete and, and to stay, you know, able able to trade blows with this guy, that's when you really start to see it go down. And I didn't even really take that into consideration until you mentioned that. Yeah, well, because then you see round three, uh, I think there's that one knockdown and that's it. They exchange, but Cruz is struggling. Um, he's getting a little pieced up on the feet. And then round four, um, you get the sense that he... If you think about it, if you're looking at it in this context, if you consider that clash of heads and consider this right hand, um, you can tell that round four, Cruz hasn't really got his feet back yet. Mm-hmm. And he comes out for that round four and he gets rocked over yeah. and over and over again, like teed off on. And Garbrandt's a heavy hitter. Garbrandt, if you close your eyes and Cody Garbrandt hits you, you're not going to stand up, right? <laughs> so the fact, the fact that Cruz got up in that third round after that, um, that brutal right hand was just a testament to his chin, but you can see the effects into round four and you can, I feel like those knockdowns in round four are still, those are, those are still the effects of round three. He's not recovered yet. And by round five, he's got his legs back. Um, you know, it's championship round. They're both tired, but you can tell Cruz is, um, He's kind of more cognizant that round, and he comes out and he really presses, and I think he wins round five. He he outworks Garbrandt. Now, to Garbrandt's credit, I think Garbrandt at that point knew he had the fight won. Mm-hmm. 
Although that's a dangerous, <laughs> that's a dangerous place to be in because we've seen stranger things than uh, fighters thinking they had the fight won and losing. Yeah. Uh, especially especially challengers in a title fight. I thought that was a really poor choice on his end. It worked to his favor that night, but it could have very easily not. Um, but uh, yeah, I thought I gave I gave Cruz round five. So I had Cruz I had Cruz winning one, two, and five, and Garbrandt winning three and four, but four being a ten eight round with all the knockdowns. So he wins on more points. Uh, either he wins on points or it's a draw, mm-hmm. but um, but either one, I felt like. See, I as as uh, as all of that being said and and all that being taken into consideration, I still think Cruz lost the fight. I just think that um, it wasn't quite as clear cut as people are making out to believe that Garvin just dominated him, and you know, headbutts are part of the game and getting cut and. You know, getting blinded by blood, and that's fight game, man. So like, it happens, and you know, it sucks. It sucks that uh, it sucks that that happens to you when it happens to you. But it's part of it, and you didn't you didn't see Cruz coming into the press conference going like, yeah, well, I got cut and I couldn't see, and and you know, uh, it wasn't my fault. No, man, he totally owned up to it. He was like, yeah, I just you know, he was a better fighter, and that's how it went. But um. But I think if that fight gets run back, which I hope it will, I think we might, you know, we could definitely see a different outcome. Well, and it might be one of those fights where if that fight happens 10 times, you know, in a row, Cruz, uh, that, and that headbutt doesn't happen, maybe maybe Cruz wins 6 out of 10, you know? Yeah, who knows? I mean, I think, I think at the end of the day, you know, Garment really put his stamp on that division and really, really, you know, made a statement saying that he is at the elite level. He's arrived. And that that in itself is amazing. He went from an unranked fighter this year to the champion. And that just doesn't happen. At 25 years old, doesn't happen. So, I mean, he's a brilliant, brilliant tactician in there. He's got a lot of power. He's going to have a great career. Um, he's off to a great start. There you go. Now, let's talk about the last big fight on the main card uh, that we had previewed Dillashaw versus Lineker, which I think that we are, you know, we were seeing the preview. Whoever won that fight was going to be next in line after the rematch or directly after to take on the winner of Cruz and Garbrandt. What did you think about Dillashaw and Lineker? I love that fight, man. I love that fight. Um, I love TJ Dillashaw. I love his camp. I love, uh, I love everything about that dude. He is just so, so technical. He's such a good athlete. Um, he's real competitive. He's just real game to fight. Um, yeah, man, he's just a great, great, great thing to watch. Um, it's, it's really like the progression of the sport into a new, new direction. Him, Cruz, Garbrandt, they're all on the same kind of page. They're just pushing, pushing real hard at making this sport, um, just elevating the sport. So it was cool to watch Dillashaw fight Lineker. Lineker is kind of an old school dude in the sense that he likes to stand in there and bang. He's got real heavy hands. He doesn't throw a lot of kicks. Uh, his ground game is, is okay. I think he's a, I think he's a BJJ black belt. So he's, he's proficient on the ground. Um, but it's not a place that he goes regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I think he'll, I think he's won a couple times by front choke, but, 
most of his wins come by finishes with the hands. He hits really hard, and he's known for this crazy just granite chin. Like, you could just hit him with a baseball bat in the face, and it's it's not going to make a difference. And um, you saw that in, in this fight with them. Um, at multiple points, Dillashaw was taking him down pretty much at random. Dillashaw's takedowns in that fight, if you guys haven't watched it, go back and watch his takedowns, man. He does these amazing takedowns where he's like doing outside reaps off of single leg shots where he's using his leg to trap Lineker's leg and he's picking him up and taking him down. Just brilliant timing. Um, but once, once Dillashaw had him on the ground, he was just beating him up, man. Just elbows and forearms mm-hmm. to the mm-hmm. chin. At one point, Lineker, they were talking to each other and Lineker is telling him to hit him in the face, like taunting him to hit him in the face. Like it's not hurting. Um, wow. and Dillashaw just raining these forearms down. Apparently, Lineker fractured his jaw in the first round. Whoa. Whoa. Yeah. That is no joke. Now, here's the question. Have you seen or do you have any indication as to who's going to fight for the title next between between those, between Dillashaw winning? Is Dillashaw going to fight Garbrandt or are they going to do an immediate rematch between Cruz and Garbrandt? Have you heard anything? Well, yeah. Um, let's see. Garbrandt, even before the fight happened with Cruz, um, Garbrandt was saying that when he won, um, that he would take an immediate rematch with Cruz, uh, which seemed kind of a weird thing to say. Um, Considering it hadn't happened yet, <laughs> the fight? Yeah. Well, just, I mean, you know, like people, you know, fighters just say crazy shit, especially like in fight week, they say crazy shit. They're doing so much media, I feel like. You know, half the time they they answer questions fifty different ways. But um, but that was the initial thing, and then he won the belt, and then I think he came to his senses and he was like, "I want to make some money," because that's what that's what happens when you win the belt. You go from making thirty grand to uh, show and thirty grand to win to making two hundred and fifty, five hundred, a million. You know, like depending on who you're fighting, who your opponent is, and what your pay-per-view points are. So so then he came out after the fight, um, a couple days later, and said that he wanted a big money fight. And he was talking about uh, moving up to 145 to fight Jose Aldo, um, who is the current champion there now, being reinstated after Conor McGregor vacated. And then he said that he'd like to fight Conor McGregor. Surprise, surprise. Oh, man. So, um, you know, my dog wants to fight Conor McGregor. Everyone wants I mean, to fight Conor McGregor. I want to fight. I'd get knocked out by Conor McGregor in a minute. Right. Give me that money. Pay right? me that money. Seriously. Um, so, I mean, that all being said, that's just classic for the time right now. That is very UFC now, right? It's just jawing for, uh, jockeying for these big money fights. What do I think will really happen? Um, Dillashaw has the best claim to the contendership. Um, he, since he lost his belt to Cruz, he's been fighting top, you know, one, two guys um, to kind of stay in that position and making him look real average. So, and getting frustrated with not getting the title shot. He's been he's been angling for a rematch for Cruz for a while. Um, and he's been getting leapfrogged by guys. He got leapfrogged by Faber and he got leapfrogged by Garbrandt. So I think now... It's becoming increasingly more difficult to say he's not um, 
not the guy, not the fight. And um, I don't see Dillashaw fighting again until he gets that title fight. Um, but we could definitely see a Cruz um, Garbrandt rematch. I think it will probably make more money in the long run. And I think that's the that's always the issue right now with the UFC. Of course. And I feel like, man, I feel like now with McGregor being where he is, every, every, everybody wants to, everyone wants to win a belt and then jump to the next weight class and try and get that belt too. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And with a guy like Garbrandt, man, like he has legitimate claim. Like, you know, he, I think he could do it. He's definitely got that kind of frame, you know, real muscular guy. And real lean at 135. So you could see him moving up to 145, probably no problem. Um, I think moving up to 155 would be a stretch. I think he even said if he was going to fight McGregor, they'd have to fight at a catch weight, like 150. Um, but I think that's a stupid choice. I, I think McGregor's power is too big for him. Yeah, and I, I don't know. It, 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 I think it'd be nice for some everyone that's within within the, uh, a weight class or two of McGregor to, I don't know, defend their titles. <laughs> <laughs> yeah wow imagine that a champion defending their title uh yeah that would be cool man that i think that'd be, be really kind of cool. cool that's call me old school <laughs> that's what right. i like to see yeah but the uh the interesting thing about the bantamweight division man is like between dillashaw garbrandt and cruz you have those guys at top three the other like four through ten fighter top ranked fighters man they are they are not even within a hair's breadth of being at that level, man. I don't see those guys. The guys, the rest of the guys in the division cannot compete with those top three guys. So I really, you see, it's an interesting place to be in because you have this like jockeying for position right there at the top. And, and outside of those top three, man, it's a big difference. Wow. So, well, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, that pretty much wraps us up for today. UFC is kind of taking a break from pay-per-views till February, but we do have the return of an old-school UFC fighter, brah. Oh, yeah. Uh, we got the return of BJ Penn. BJ Penn, brah! Here we That's go. Right. That's uh, right, man. Uh, how old wow. is BJ Penn? <laughs> Wow, Rudy, what do we say about this? I don't know, man. I mean, the dude's got to be like 105 years old now. He's 105 years old. Um, he uh, is cry been cryogenically frozen. No, uh, he uh, he's dangerous, man. The thing, he's 37, okay? He hasn't fought. Man, I don't think he's fought since like 2010. It's got to be something crazy like that. It's something crazy. Um, BJ Penn is such a weirdo. He was so dominant and had such like up and down kind of career. Um, he's one of the only guys to win UFC belt in two weight classes, him, McGregor, and uh, Coach Earp. Um, I think I'm right about that. Yeah. So his legacy is set. He doesn't need to fight anymore. He's a Hall of Famer. He's already in the Hall of Fame. He is. <laughs> yeah, he's already in the Hall of Fame. Uh, but for whatever reason he wants to come back and fight, okay. The problem, basic problem on paper with this is that in the lighter weight classes, and he's fighting at 145, I believe. Okay. Um, fighters don't age well. It's not like in the heavyweight division, right? Yeah. So we'll see. I don't know. He's always dangerous. He's fighting a guy that's pretty dangerous. Um, all the guys in that division are pretty dangerous. So 
I don't know, man. We'll see. We'll see. I hope. I hope he comes out and he makes a statement and he gets a little, like a classic BJ Penn performance where you know he's like licking blood off his gloves and chokes guy out. But you know, we'll see. Yeah, I remember that. I remember him licking the blood off his gloves. That was crazy. <laughs> I love that dude. He's a nut, man. He is a nut. Well, awesome. Uh, so concludes another edition of the Goldcast, our first MMA Goldcast of of the new year, and now it's official. You know, those other two were previews, and now now we're in, Dan. Now now we're in to win it. Yeah, buddy, I can't I can't believe it. We've arrived at this precipice. We're about to take over the MMA game. We are. It's over. Here we go. Uh, I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my MMA co-host, Dan the Man. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, this is the gold cast.